0: what's up everyone welcome to another episode of sports card madness the podcast that focuses on sports cards collectibles the hobby and everything else in between for today's episode we sat down with Jim Doyle he is a vintage card dealer and we discussed the advantages disadvantages um, and prices of modern cards versus vintage cards we got into what vintage cards actually are and what defines them and we also talked about short-term long-term what's a better investment what, what's our opinion so we got into all that LZ couldn't make this one so I took over I think you'll enjoy it let's dive in
1: well, a by
0: the what's up everyone welcome to another episode of sports card madness the podcast that focuses on Sports cards, collectibles, the hobby, and everything else in between. Today, I have a special guest, Jim Doyle. I've known Jim a while on Instagram. I guess we're Instagram friends, but we're finally meeting for the first time in this pod, so it should be fun. And Jim is a vintage card dealer and has a lot of insight in that space. So I thought we'd have kind of a fun episode where we talk about what vintage cards are and how that relates to modern cards and what are the differences and that sort of thing. So Jim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And uh, no, looking forward
1: to talking basketball cards and vintage cards in general. And uh, yeah, looking forward to
0: it. should should be fun. Cool. I'm super excited. So can you tell the audience what you do in the card world? I think it'd be interesting to hear. And I I kind of know what you do besides cards, but I think that'd be kind of fun to learn about.
1: Sure. So so basically, it's kind of funny. So I started in the card industry, (laughs) I guess you'd call it. Many years ago, so I, I my first job was actually sorting baseball cards at a store called Rotman Collectibles in Worcester. So if we have any long-term vintage collectors that listen to your podcasts, we're, I'm in still in Massachusetts and was 14 years old and was offered a job. I was down there buying a lot of cards, and to me, it was perfect. I got to basically sort cards and rip wax and make sets, pull stars, and worked there for about three years, and I went to college and kind of got away from cards. I I didn't think too much about it. Went and got a master's and ended up getting married, had a family and didn't do much for cards for probably 25 years, 27 years. I'm I'm sure many of the folks that got re-energized through COVID. So my, for me, it was my mom was moving into a condominium and she was cleaning out her house. So she told me I need to get all my cards out of her house. And and so when I did that, I had luckily had collected some cards that still had some value and, and managed to sell a few of those. I had a Ryan rookie, a Gretzky rookie and sold a few of those and then just kind of get re-energized at that point. And then that was probably two and a half or maybe going on three years ago now that I started up again. And yeah, I just kind of really kind of dove back in and certainly the internet and Facebook and Instagram helped help fuel that. And yeah, so now I've been back doing it a little more seriously as a collector. And then started dealing a little bit in vintage cards mainly to help support my ability to buy more cards basically. So, well, that's kind of an overview of uh, how I, how, how long I've been doing it and, and where I'm at now. So
0: that's really cool. So what was the most valuable card that you dug out? Was it, was it the Gretzky rookie or?
1: No. So unfortunately the this funny story, the Gretzky was raw. And at the time I was still kind of learning my way, So I sold that on eBay Raw and then back before eBay changed their policy, I think it sold for like 900 bucks because it was pretty clean looking. And three months after I sold it, I got an email from or a message from the buyer that said he sent it to SGC and it got an authentic grade. So whoever I bought it from in the 80s either trimmed it or it was a factory min-sized and he wanted his money back and eBay just basically took the money out of my account. So it was kind of funny that... I, I didn't realize that I probably should have had it graded myself, but so that was kind of a learning experience. But the most valuable card I I had uh, was actually a Raw Ryan rookie that was pretty clean. It, I sent it to PSA, got a six, and I sold that through PWCC when they were still on eBay. And I think I got a couple, th- I mean maybe a couple thousand for it. Really? So it was Bad. it was kind of neat because I think I paid three hundred bucks for the card. It was a big card even back in the day. And uh, so that helped me realize that, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. <laughs> it's like found money for, for myself and fueled some, some of my early purchases when I got back into
0: Perfect. Yeah. Just for the audience, what can happen sometimes when he says raw card, this is just a card that you pull out of a pack and nothing has happened to it. That's considered raw. And when you send a raw card in and it comes back authentic, it doesn't have a grade. There are several things that can happen to that card. One is they could dye the edges to make it look, less beaten up another is they can trim it so they get a nice little table they get a little uh, clipper or whatever it's called and they they can trim the card up and what will happen is this authenticator will measure the card and it doesn't meet the standard specs by a millimeter or two millimeters or something like that they don't give you the grade the card's real but it's been altered so they they uh, they call it authentic so this has happened to me a couple of times as well i just thought it'd be useful for them to to know what that means Yes. It was a good learning experience for me, too, because, and, and I trusted the guy that
1: it was my card that bought, but, you know, and I just gave him his money back. And then I think eBay has since
0: changed the rules that you need to start returns quicker than that. But Right, yeah, they have a whole program now where if you sell a card over a certain dollar threshold, they send it off to an authenticator on your behalf. It takes an yes, extra yes. couple of weeks in most cases, and then yes. they'll send it back. So it's an interesting service. I'm not totally sold on yet, but... I think it's good for the beginner. Yeah, yeah. It's they a it's a good peace of mind too, yes, yeah. So, Jim, one of the big questions I have for you, you say you're a vintage dealer, right? What are vintage cards? And what is the what is the date for you that you think yeah. marks it as vintage? I know we're a little bit older than some people, but Yes,
1: yeah. No, that's a great question. So it's kind of funny. So I I I I am kind of a part time dealer in it. Funny you say because I had set up a, a card show, the flipping card show, maybe a year or so ago, and yeah, you know, I had primarily what I consider vintage cards, and I had this young person come up to me with four Ken Griffey Jr. 1989 Fleer rookie cards that were graded PSA nine, I think they were. And he, I mean, to this 14-year-old kid, these 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 1989 cards were certainly vintage and were older than him and older than many of the younger kids in the room. And so, I mean, I guess I define I define vintages back like in the 80s or earlier. Part of that, I think, is my worldview of when I was first collecting cards back at Rotman's and I was buying some older cards like the vintage then. So in the mid 80s or into the early 90s, vintage was probably like 60s and back at that time. So, yeah, and I'm probably biased. So I, in my mind, I'm thinking like 88 Fleer Basketball when the production's of the basketball side were smaller than obviously the <laughs> the big junk wax era of the baseball. But I know that certainly, I mean, there's some people that disagree with me when they talk about like mid nineties basketball and Kobe Bryant and <laughs> rookies yep. and such. So, so I think that's kind of part of my, I'm biased because of how when I was working at the shop and buying stuff, it was cards that were say 20 to 25 years old at that time that was kind of considered vintage and I think I'd probably
0: err on the side of older but that that's my that's my definition I guess I feel like we all have a different definition it's almost personal right I'm 43 my view of vintage is different than somebody who's 73 or 13 right and you have your own view because you were working on cards back in the day for me I'm starting to think I, I could be wrong but it, I guess technically vintage means a card that's not made anymore like I'm starting to think of things like 2012 Prism Basketball almost as vintage because it's it's over 10 years old. They don't make them. It was the first set for a Panini, which is pretty iconic. But then I start thinking, well, you know what? It really starts in the 80s and like 86 Fleer and, and going on back 1969 tops and, and all that. So it's interesting. I feel like we all have a different cutoff year. Even PSA does when you submit online. It's got like 1980 and older, 1981 and newer. Um, Yes. So it's fascinating. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So when you are at these shows, like the local shows, like uh, the Flipping Card Show or the Shriners, which for the audience is probably our largest regional show. It's probably two, three hundred tables. You've also been to the National. I know you went this year. What? Are you like the uh, the only vintage guy, like sitting there in a dusty corner, or do you have, a, <laughs> or do you see it's lots so of lots of shiny parallels, almost like fish bait yeah. hooks around? like or, what, <laughs> What's that like at a show?
1: Oh, well, that's funny, and it, and it's every show is different. So I've over the, year, the last few years, I've come to realize that every show has its has a little bit of its niche, and there's different qualities about a show that attract certain collectors to it. And I think those, even those few shows you've rattled off, there's a wide range of percentage of vintage versus modern. And like at the, I my first really big show I did was in April of this year. And I, I was able to get a table at the Altman show. I know Lucky's is taking it over, but it was, like, like you said, a 300 table show. It's so my first big foray into committing to three days sitting there and selling my my cards and uh, that show it was probably it could have been as close as 50 50 in terms of vintage to modern which is surprising so most shows would be much heavily skewed towards the modern like when i did the a few times i did the flipping card show it was when i just kind of started getting back into cards and I was probably one of two or three dealers out of 60 when they, when I was first doing the flipping Show. I think they've shifted a little bit. The National, I, I feel like, was probably similar to maybe 50-50 or 60-40, maybe a little more of the modern. I think the Vintage has gained like a foothold, so I know some local dealers that, when I was getting back into it two years ago, even were all modern. They pretty much were all New Shiny, Prism, and... Inserts and autos and such. And now even a lot of those folks have at least some component of vintage in their cases. So I think they've realized that the vintage is kind of like the slow, steady, (laughs) steady train that is pretty reliable. You might not have big swings in the valuation. Whereas the modern, there are chances to maybe potentially have a big hit, but you can also have some pretty substantial potential losses. So I, I've decided over the last couple of years to stick with what I know. So I. I've only bought a few modern or what I consider modern. So I bought a couple of PMGs from 2011, 2013 that there were older players, but in this modern, this kind of limited edition insert type of thing. And I, I think I bought into the hype. I probably paid too much for them. And it was, it was kind of a learning experience for me because I was kind of listening to some other people and maybe didn't do as much research as I should have and I I eventually moved on from them and traded them and sold them and I kind of chucked it up as a learning experience so it was it was interesting so I so I think it depends on the show and I've also realized that I have to kind of pick my spots right so I was I was lucky enough this past month to get a table from a friend at Dedham because Dedham has a cardboard promotion's Show has a lot of long time dealers that really go every month, and they're there. And that's maybe that might be seventy thirty or sixty forty vintage to modern. And uh, it, it, it's if you're in a sh- like early flipping shows for me were frustrating because I'm I'm one of there's only a few people that are looking for this stuff. So it was good and bad. But the five people at the time were looking for vintage, bought bought mo- most of my stuff that I had. But then there was another show that I did. I sh- I sold one card for like 50 bucks. <laughs> like, well, but it was a learning experience, right? So it's, to me, not, it's not always about, oh, uh, what do they make at this show or how, how successful was the show? Oftentimes, even that show, I was like giving out my business card and trying to meet people and future, oh, well, if you ever know anyone that comes across basketball, old cards or you want to trade or need someone that wants to sell. So, so yeah, so I've been lucky in that I've, Learned a lot about kind of learning about the, the industry from, from fellow collectors and some, some dealers I trust and just trial and error, basically. So even when I took a loss on those PMGs, I just kind of thought, well, some people go to like a weekend retreat to learn about how business is done or like how to buy and sell things. And I pretty much probably spent too much on a 2011 Bill Russell PSA 10 oh, G. I thought, well, I I eventually traded it for almost a whole set of 57 Tufts basketball. And it was something that was more in my comfort zone. And when I it kind of taught me that I need, need to kind of stick with what I know and what I'm familiar with. Otherwise, you're, you go out on a limb. I mean, I guess it could have been, a, I could have maybe made a big
0: hit on it. But it was also, it made me realize I have to pick my spot, so to speak. Yeah, those are great lessons in there, almost sticking with what you know. For me personally, when I got back into the hobby in 2019, 2020, I was just ripping open boxes, trying to get the 517th version of a parallel Zion or something like that. I didn't <laughs> think I had made it and I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I think intuitively I, I kind of understood like, okay, Rare stuff does better. are these shiny things really rare, or like is a one of one card really rare if there's two thousand one of ones that year it's It's pretty interesting, and so i I just started to think, well, vintage cards, especially vintage cards that are signed, and then ones that are signed by players that aren't here anymore yeah. that is rare stuff, and there's yeah, you may not be able to flip it for like ten x tomorrow in some crazy way. But over the long term, I think those things hold value. And I mean, as a dealer, you need to to think about you're almost like a, a local shop, right? Like you gotta have inventory for everybody that's at the show. But at the end of the day, you also are a collector and somewhat of an investor. So you have to decide, What do I want in my personal collection for? One year, ten years, thirty years. Those are all very different very different things, sure, right? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that. Yes, that's a good point. And it, it, I'm always like struggling
1: as because I'm mainly a collector. So I'm always have this internal struggle about what which cards to sell and which cards to keep. And it it makes me think of this. So there's this one card that I ended up buying. It was a 1956 team issue, Boston Celtics, large format card of Bill Russell that I was offered in a private Sale a friend of mine offered to me, and at the time, there was very little known about these cards, so they were cards that were razor thin, like five by seven or six by nine cards that were sold mainly at the Boston Garden, and they came in an envelope and you would buy a team set probably for fifty cents or a i think so I was offered this partial team set that had the Bill Russell and a koozie and some of the other players. And at the time I asked a few people that I trust, I said, person wants like around a thousand dollars for it. I'm, I I have an intuitive feel that that's a decent price. It's not a bargain, but I feel like it's a, I feel comfortable, right? So a lot of times I'll ask myself, all right, I'm going to outlay a thousand dollars. I have three kids in a house, to, see a house to run. All right, where, where I got to pick my spot? So I felt, I asked two people I trust. They said, I think you're safe at a thousand. So around a thousand dollars later, I got this card. And I know it's a, it's a good card and I want to maybe keep it. I might want to flip it. So I send it to PSA and I, PSA has graded 756 team issue cards, the Coozie, the Heinz, and Frank Rams. I forget the list, but send it to PSA last summer. They hold it for two months, qu uh, re- researching the car. <laughs> and then after two months, right. they tell me that they, they cannot confirm the fact that this is an original card, basically, that they're. They're, they're going to return it to me as yeah, no charge, no slab So I was <laughs> very frustrated because I had the original envelope that came in. I was willing to send the rest of the cards. I had, I owned the Koozie, uh, one of the two Koozies, 56 team issues that had been created. But, but it was also a learning experience. So I thought a lesser person, I think, or a person that wasn't invested, <laughs> might have said, okay, well, things happen. I'm I just going to move on. I Maybe i just talk way but i i knew it was from that year so i just sent it to sgc and sgc at the time had labeled those cards as like 1950s team issue card so they just give it a general because they at the time they hadn't been many that were identified by year well as luck would have it they they decided that that was the 56 57 team issue bill russell they sent it back to me in a nice slab identified as his rookie season and at sgc one had a little pinhole in it and so this was obviously a win for me. I felt vindicated that it was an <laughs> authentic card and such. And then my wheel started spinning, and I kind of decided, all right, well, there are all these other great cards that I want to buy, and I'm a collector, and I'm a big Bob Koozie fan. I've, I was working on his master set, the PSA Master Set Registry. I still needed some cards, and I ended up deciding to, to to sell the card. So I decided to sell this card, this the uh, Bill Russell team issue through. Heritage auction. So I researched it, talked to a lot of people. They said vintage basketball heritage is the way to go. So I deferred to the people I knew. And uh, yeah, so last winter they ended up selling the, the card for me and it did, did very well, but it was, it was a, a struggle because I, even now I have sometimes I wish, oh, I just wish I still had that card, but, but also I wouldn't have had the funds to go then chase the koozie cards that I was still had a little more personal connection to and desire to obtain so but it's yeah it's 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 a balance and it's but it's fun it's kind of like some of it is
0: just now i think oh what well, can i find the next, the next the next one like that there's a lot of lessons there for the audience especially the the newbies in the audience as collectors hey if we're just going to collect something and sit on it we're less dependent on the whims of grading companies because we don't care right I mean, maybe you want it in a slab and it's, it keeps it in a good condition or that sort of thing. But if you're selling it at an auction, like you did at Heritage, grading companies become very important. And the good news for the audience is that there are three or four choices. Obviously, you've got PSA kind of at the top. I can't tell you how many things, I've especially vintage autographs, that they've kicked or they've rejected. I, I can't even count. It's dozens. And so then you're like, OK, cool. I spent that money. It's gone then you submit to Beckett and you hope they slab it because ultimately you want it (laughs) to get cased in plastic. And if they kick it, then you're left with a trickier choice. SGA, as you said, is great, but I don't think they do autographs anymore. And you have JSA, which will put a nice sticker on your your card and give you a nice letter. (laughs) So I've actually gone all the way down to JSA. I've failed, failed, failed. And JSA has saved me on some really obscure, like older cards, like referees and stuff like that. And I got the sticker, and then the irony is, if you take that sticker and send it back to PSA, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, they'll slap it. <laughs> oh, I know. So I know. It's Crazy. It's yeah. You, we
1: are <laughs> at their mercy, and yeah. A so little. SGC, yeah, right? <laughs> SGC. I think we'll do just company issued autographs. So if it comes out of a pack, right, like right. packs inside autos, but, but the, no second you know, second and other and yeah and i i think some of it i do know like psa there it's difficult like when you mentioned the obscure autos and there's there's probably not a lot of references and they i think like anything even with when psa thought oh this they they said that my 56 russell may have been reprinted in the 70s or something. So i think they're just erring on the side of caution because they obviously don't mind if i had a stockpile of them <laughs> and then i sent in another one two months later i was printing these russells in my base or something. It works. I think that they have to err on the side of caution,
0: but, uh, but uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So let's say one of your kids got into collecting and said, dad, I've got a thousand bucks to invest in cards. I've obviously stocks and bonds and, and other things are important, but I want to take a thousand bucks and invest it in cards for the next 20, 30 years. So you've got two choices really, right? You've got. You've vintage stuff and you've got the the newer stuff whatever date you set what would be your advice to them in which direction to go and and why yeah that's
1: a good question so my son i have a a 15 year old son he's going to be 16 and in a a week or so and he he got into cards for a little bit he still has some players that he collects and it's a great question because i think Long term, I, I think I would probably go with the vintage, some classic cards, like either in baseball or basketball, like 61 Fleer basketball or baseball side, maybe like 56 baseball cards. But I know just for his own enjoyment, like he currently, he he likes the Seahawks and he's a big, well, it was a big Russell Wilson thing until they traded him. So, and he likes watching the players say, so obviously we rip boxes once in a while and So I know he would want to also collect things that have a little bit more of a personal meaning to him. So, I mean, I think I'd probably hedge and maybe say, all right, why don't we take 500 bucks and we'll buy like maybe one or two uh, vintage cards, either baseball or basketball. And I think I would focus on getting the best card in terms of card appeal and technical grade you could get for the money, but also get maybe Hall of Famers in any sport and um And then let's take the other 500 and pick maybe five players that you really like to watch, maybe at football or basketball, and we'll kind of go there. One thing I've come to find out just for my own collectability, balancing money and card appeal, I feel like vintage cards in the four to five PSA range, they offer a great opportunity to get cards that have wonderful card appeal and look well-centered and relatively good corners there might be some kind of a technical deficiency where there's a, a print line or a little surface issue or something but to me i feel like in terms of the bang for your buck you can you can really look at a card and say wow that's a really sharp four that's a really sharp five and i feel good about that. whereas sometimes like even on the 61 Fleer set i was i was almost complete down to like a wilt but i had cards from like 3 up to eight eight 8.5 and i'm thinking like I have to recenter here because I, I yeah. don't want to have a, a similar type um, card. So I, whereas you get up into the PSA seven or eight range,
0: you're, you're out of, you're pricing yourself out of, of course, high especially with vintage.
1: Yeah. You yeah, guys,
0: yeah. It's interesting you was- say that because I bought a, I believe a Jerry West 61 off of you, which is his rookie card. We'll and see. my initial thought was I didn't care too much about the grade because I was going to crack it open and have Jerry West sign it. And for the audience, that is a way you can add tremendous value to a card very quickly, and when you resubmit it, like let's say I bought a three off of Jim, p s a three there's a chance- i mean there's a chance both ways it could go down to a two yes, it could go up to true. a four, but you know if you get it autographed, you're probably safe either way yes, so yeah. yeah it's pretty cool so, yeah
1: that's true. I have a good story for that so when I first got back into collecting and I got that money from the uh sale of the ryan rookie and the and the Gretzky and I had to i sell resold it for 600 bucks, whatever. So I bought, actually, I bought two Bob Cousy rookies. And I bought one from a local card shop in Oxford. Our DJ is a great old school shop that survived the junk era and is still going strong. And it was a PSA 4, 1957 Topps Bob Cousy, but a heck of a 4. And I thought, wow, that, that's a nice 4. I'll pay whatever the going rate was for that card. And I ended up cracking it open. And had a friend that a friend of a friend that was able to get Kuzi's signature on the card. And then mm-hmm. a couple months later I had a actually a, it was a framing in show, but I had met Ted Wu. He's a longtime dealer, he does the Wilmington show, and I bought it Burke Ross, Bob Kuzi rookie, same thing, PSA four, but damn, it was on base four, right? So I I cracked both of those and say talk to some people it doesn't matter if it comes back a three or a two whatever it gets damaged in transit you have koozie and i'm a holy cross grad and koozie alum we have a connection worcester guy so i send it off to my friend he gets it signed comes back i sent recent to psa so they're both cracked as fours and they actually both came back as five psa 5 with a 10 auto <laughs> so i was thrilled even though they're just going in the pc that that i ended up getting bumped up a grade so oh, and i also yeah. felt like well i had a guy was right where i said that was a darn good four <laughs> so i felt pretty good about when it when that happens
0: it feels like you just robbed the bank and got away with it Yeah. Like
1: oh awesome. no no i i have <laughs> been on the other end of it too were you you oh, think yeah. how was that only a, how was that only a three or something so, yeah
0: koozie's like but, one of the all-time best autographers. I mean, he for uh, the audience, he doesn't do it anymore because he's ninety-four and he's kind of backing down. But he he would always sign for a donation to Big Brother Big Sisters. It's been a cause of his for seventy years, something yes, like yeah, that. Yeah. So he's just an absolutely amazing signer. He's done so much for charity and everything. So it's really cool. Yes, I've got a bunch of stuff signed by him. Yes, yeah, he's. Actually, just turned ninety-five a few
1: weeks ago, so it's pretty amazing that oh, he, he's, said he's yeah he's yeah. And I actually did what I've eventually finished the, the master set, the PSA master set for Koozie. And as I checked, I don't think anyone else has all ten, so I think I'm the only one in the registry with ten. But I, I with the donations, I think it was one hundred fifty dollars a piece at the time. I think I donated. <laughs>
0: Pushing a couple thousand to the big brother, big yeah. So it's a good cause. It's a good cause. Yeah, that no, it was great. I was
1: thrilled. Yeah,
0: I'm missing his in action card from 1961 signed. That's. I'll have to get that at some point.
1: Well, actually, I do. I do have one. If you, I have an extra, if you need it at some point, we can talk. Sorry. Perfect.
0: So I'm <laughs> gonna do like a little rapid fire thing here between the two of us. So when you think of like the most iconic vintage sets across, I would say baseball and basketball. We can just keep it to that. What or, ones come to mind for you? I'll let you rattle them off. We'll see if you miss anything. Okay, yes.
1: So for basketball there, I would say the 61 is probably my all-time favorite. 61 Fleer, just the colors, the Hall of Famers, rookies. The baseball side, I, I really like the 56 for baseball because like, it's got the horizontal
0: design and you like, get so many Hall of Famers too. I love the 52 for baseball. It just looks so cool. I mean, obviously the mantle is... So iconic, but
1: yes, yeah, really yeah, cool Yeah, but track. that's, I mean, you got Jackie in there too. The maze, there's so many legends, I guess. The, for other basketball, I think, in terms of iconic, such a, I have to go with the 86 Fleer just because the Jordan and and all the other rookies, the Hall of Fame rookies, and uh, right, you
0: know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and, don't forget 57. 57 that's pretty, yeah, yeah that's that pretty the
1: other one yes yeah. and i actually yeah that's and I'm, I'm my my thought is to try to reinvest in a nice bill russell rookie now well, i've had a couple over
0: the years but uh, nothing that i've deemed worthy to keep yet but yeah so 1957 tops is russell's rookie card essentially so it's a pretty massive card especially if it's signed 61 is great as well because it's just chock full of hall of famer rookies jerry west and well, Chamberlain, it just, I mean, I, I could name them for like an hour. i um, sorry, got <laughs> And then, yeah, 86 is cool. That's like my generation. You have MJ and you've got probably 20 Hall of Famers in there from Carl Malone to Isaiah Thomas. And I also, so I personally have the 1986 Fleer set autographed, which is super fun. And the other set I love for basketball is the 1969 Tallboy set. So it's these kind of oversized cards. They're white and it's got these cool pictures on them of the players so they're hard to find in good condition cuz they got re- they got the crap beat out of them by kids in the 60s and they did oh, not nice make guy. they did not make holders for tall boys back then so they were in a lot of screw down cases which hurts the card over time and they were in you know Tim Gallagher Tim Gallagher legendary collector all his 1969 signed stuff is trimmed by an inch because He's like, well, they didn't make anything that held him and it annoyed me. Yeah. So I cut like an inch off of every one of his like really valuable cards. And he just like, <laughs> he's got them in a regular holder. Now they've so, got sizes for everything. And uh, uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So a couple more questions. So I think, do you deal, you've you mentioned baseball a couple other times. Do you mostly do hoops? You mostly do basketball or do you do a little baseball I do, or?
1: Yeah, so I do. So basically, when I was back, when I was younger in high school and younger. I, I I collected primarily baseball, and when I got back into it, I felt a little overwhelmed by the the numbers of baseball sets and cards and things I would like to collect that I knew that I wasn't I wasn't going to be able to really get a number of things and be satisfied because of the one of the prices of them and such. So. So in terms of what I have currently that I personally collect and that I tend to like buy and trade with other sell collectors or set up at shows is pretty much all basketball. I toy with the idea of branching back out into baseball. It seems like when I go to these many of the shows, there's such a high demand for the baseball hall of famers, Jackie and Mantle and Williams and Mays and Aaron that I kind of sometimes I wonder, am I like selling (laughs) myself short where I have like, I'm focused. So it's good go to a show I'm one of the few people that has a lot of high quality vintage basketball but then at Dedham last time there were quite a few people that were like oh geez you don't have a baseball uh, so I'm I'm debating kind of branching out and I, I, I kind of have to see I felt like again sometimes if I go beyond just kind of the known names that I'd be spreading myself a little bit thin too so whereas no. you know, whereas the basketball thing is well if I get stuck I get hold these cards and I never sell them I have no trouble. I'm just tucking them away for another 20 years. So, so right, because that's, you like that's where I'm at now. But I Interesting. we'll see what
0: happens. I have the same issue. I'm heavily weighted towards hoops. And I think it's important to diversify a little bit. So mm-hmm. I think one of my goals as a collector over the next year, I would say, is to get some some blue chip baseball cards. Like a jackie, mm-hmm. like a mantle. Nothing crazy autographed if possible but that we'll see mm-hmm. uh, i just want to diversify a little so it's interesting. yeah so uh, all right so one one final question we ask every guest this question if you could sit down and get a coffee with any sports figure that's ever lived could be live right now who would it be and why i think i would go with bob
1: Cousy just because of the holy cross connection and he he kind of adopted worcester as his second home I grew up in the city of Worcester, and we we shared the same alma mater. We both went to Holy Cross, and I've been lucky enough to meet him a couple of times. He did a book signing at Holy Cross a couple of years ago for his book, The Last Pass, and saw him at one other event, and he just seems like a real genuine person. He kind of adopted Worcester as his second home, and he's still very humble after all these years, all his championships. and. All his successes, he, he, he still, even I, I think even this year, he went to the, the Wu Sox, the AAA Red Sox and like threw out the ceremonial first pitch. And so he's even at 94 years old at the time, he, he's still kind of connected to the community. And uh, yeah, I just, I've listened to some of his interviews and read a couple of his books. And so I, I think it would be fun to interview him and 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 sit down with him and and just kind of shoot the breeze because it's uh, i think that that would be fun so it's uh yeah it's, well, that uh, would be my
0: choice i guess yeah it's a pretty pretty incredible era of basketball that he was a part of so it'd be fun to hear about how the league changed in the 60s late 50s Cool, awesome well yeah jim this was great just for the people on audio what's the best way for someone to reach out to you like maybe they want a vintage card, they want advice where can they find oh, you
1: sure yeah that's that's great so My handle here is Doyle11cards on Instagram, and that's probably the easiest way to reach me in terms of like the general population. If you want to just send me a private message there, and I can you can see if you get on Doyle11card, you'll see the sorts of things I have. My inventory is always changing, but if you have any need for vintage basketball, I often have those items in stock, and then I'm also always trading and buying and searching for the next obscure basketball
0: card so
1: it's, it's probably the easiest way And then, you, then i can give you my email and such through there is probably it's the easiest way
0: so it's doyle underscore 11 underscore cards correct Instagram. Perfect. correct great really well cool. thank you jim for your time this has been awesome for the audience please uh, please subscribe if you like this episode we're on spotify apple pretty much everywhere where you get your podcasts so check it out we'll keep pumping these out every friday Jim, it was awesome sitting down with you. I learned a ton. It was a good debate. Modern. Vision. Yeah, no, thanks again. Uh, yes. Thank you for having me. It's fun. It's uh, yeah, it's been a lot
1: of fun getting back into the cards again. And it's uh, certainly enjoyable and great, great meeting people like yourself, too. That's the other thing about going to the shows and such meeting so many cool people and great collectors. It's 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 better than just doing only deals online. So I enjoy these sorts of things. So thanks again. I appreciate you having me. Great. Thanks, everyone. That's the pod.